Good morning, everyone. Our scripture passage today is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm going to read just the first five verses. But I'll refer to some of the rest of the chapter throughout the message, so you may want to keep your Bible open as I read. Let's listen to God's word to us today through the words written by the Apostle Paul as he talks to the Christians in the ancient city of Corinth in Greece. He writes, And when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Amen. Thanks be to God. This is his holy word. Once upon a time, there was a forest fire. And three animals found their way to the middle of a wide stream where the water provided them with safety from the flames. A black bear, a beaver, and a snapping turtle. As they huddled together in the stream, they began to talk with each other. And the topic came up, well, how did you know to find safety in the stream? How did, how did you get here? And then each of them kind of told their story. The black bear said, I learned everything from my mother. When I was a cub, I, I clung to her. I buried my face into her fur. She carried me everywhere. She showed me everything, which berries to eat, how to catch a fish, what to do when I smelled smoke. I always felt so warm and safe when I was with her. Everything I know, I learned from my mother. Then the beaver spoke up. I learned everything from our master builder. All of us young pups, we were apprenticed by an older beaver in the clan, and he showed us how to cut logs and how to build dams and, and where to find food. He was so wise and, and so willing to teach us. I always wanted to be like him and to, to make him proud. Everything I learned, I learned from my mentor. And then the snapping turtle told his story, and you could tell that even before he spoke, there was a little bit of an edge. And he said, I never knew my parents. They dumped my egg in a hole on the shore and took off. I don't know who they are or what they look like. From the moment I hatched out of that egg, I have been on my own, and it is a struggle for survival from the very beginning. I had to crawl my way back to the water. Predators everywhere, and it was every turtle for themselves. A lot of my brothers and sisters, they didn't make it. If it wasn't for this hard shell, I wouldn't be here today. Nobody helped me. I made it all on my own. And silence kind of settled over the stream. And then the black bear said, but we're all here now and we're all safe. So the most important thing is where do we go from here? You see, they'd all reached the same point. They'd reached the safety in the middle of that stream and it really didn't matter how they learned to escape the forest fire. Their key question was, where do you go from here? Where do you go from here? What's your story? How did, how did you get here this morning? How did you get to this point in your life? How did you get to Christ? Was it through the loving witness of a family member, your parents, a sibling, a spouse, a grandmother? Was it someone in your family that helped bring you to a faith in Christ? Or was it a mentor, somebody who was a little bit further down the path, who, who offered you a helping hand, a youth group leader, a friend, a teacher, a coach? someone you respected, someone who was willing to invest in you, someone who saw your potential and helped draw out 
that out of you? Is that how you were drawn to Christ? Or were you more like that snapping turtle? Maybe you didn't have the loving nurture of a parent or the help or inspiration of a mentor. Maybe you kind of came to Christ on your own and maybe you still carry some pain about your journey. Maybe it was a lonely path that you followed. Or you may still feel alone in that journey. But somehow you felt or feel drawn to Christ who cares for the dejected, who welcomes the wanderer, who saves the lost. Everybody's story is different. And yet today we're all in the same place. Whatever your background, whatever your journey up to today, now we are all at the same place. And then the key question for us is this, where do you go from here? What will Jesus mean in your life from this day forward? Tomorrow is a new chapter in the story of your life, and that chapter has yet to be written. It's a blank page, and you have the ability to influence the plot, to shape the storyline. Where will God be in the story of your life from this day forward? Is God just a footnote stuck at the bottom of the page or an obscure index in the back? Is Jesus a minor character who pops in every once in a while and then disappears? Or will Jesus be the underlining theme that, that ties the whole story together? You see, here in chapter 2, Paul begins by telling a little bit of his own simple story. This is his how I came to you story. Remember, Paul was the one who got the Corinthian church started. It happened during his second uh, journey to plant church uh, Christian communities around the countries in the eastern Mediterranean Sea. In the summer of 50 AD, he was in Athens, the, the epicenter of Greek philosophy and culture. He went from Athens to Corinth, which was Greece, Greece's economic and business center. It was a port city that attracted people from all over the ancient world, every language, tribe, culture, and religion known in the Western world. They all piled into Corinth. Every lifestyle, everything imaginable, they had it. Corinth was a decadent and sin-filled, really pagan playground. And it was from that diverse, kind of messed up audience that people heard about Jesus Christ and then responded to the gospel message and became part of the Corinthian church. Listen to how Paul describes this group of people who made up the Corinthian church in chapter 6, starting with verse 9. He writes, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do, you not, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Did you hear that list? I mean, that's, a, that's the pool of people who populated the church in Corinth, thieves, addicts, and all the rest. They didn't come from some squeaky clean, pure as the driven snow background. These were hard living people. Their tattoos had tattoos. But now they were in the middle of the stream of God's mercy. And they were trying to learn how to live in such a way as to please Christ and to reflect his love and grace and justice to the city. They were trying to shed their old way of life and put on Christ's new way of living. And so, of course, there was going to be conflict and confusion. They brought all their junk, they brought all their baggage with them into the church, all their prejudices and weaknesses, addictions, desires, all their false beliefs, their mental errors, all their sin, all their shame. They brought all that with them into the church. But now they are all at the same point in Christ. They've all made it to the middle 
of the river of God's grace. And Paul is beginning to ask, where do you go from here? How can God be central to your story? How will God move you on toward spiritual maturity? Because that's the goal, change, moving towards spiritual maturity. The gospel says, come as you are, but not stay as you are. Don't stay stuck in your past. Move closer to Christ. Now that you know him as your Lord, as your Savior, God's goal is that you would become more and more like Jesus. The goal of discipleship, the goal of being a disciple is to become more and more like Jesus Christ in your thinking, in your actions, in your attitudes, in your relationships, made new. That's the phrase that's used over and over again in the New Testament to describe what spiritual growth looks like. Made new. Ephesians 4.22 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The new self that's different from the old self, a new self that lives and grows because of the presence of Christ in your heart. That's the goal, to move people towards Christ and towards spiritual maturity. That's why one of our core values is this, that we encourage your next step. We encourage your next step. Wherever you are right now in your faith, there is a next step for you. It's going to be different from somebody else's next step because everybody's journey is unique. But your next step, it might be you know, a rough edge that needs smoothing, a sin you need to confess and confront, and an area of your life where you know you're being disobedient to God. Might be the need to find greater focus in your prayer life, to surrender your schedule, your calendar to God. And maybe God needs to help you develop a heart of compassion. Maybe you've had a hard heart or a judgmental attitude. Or maybe your political beliefs are obscuring and clouding your understanding of the gospel. Maybe your next step comes in serving using your gifts to benefit others and not just yourself, to benefit your church and your community. Instead of being a taker, you become a, a giver. Instead of a consumer of spiritual goods and services, you become someone who is a contributor to the health of the body. You start giving of yourself and your time. Your next step might be in joining a Bible study or small group, beginning to learn more about the scriptures and how to apply God's truth to your life. I don't know what your next step towards spiritual maturity might be, but I know there is one. And I know you should be praying about it and asking, where do I need to grow? What is my next step in my spiritual walk with you, Lord? Paul begins with himself. And so he says in our passage that he came to them without eloquence, just the simple truth, without any kind of pompous superior wisdom. I mentioned last week how wisdom and eloquence and debate were prized in Corinth. Everyone was an amateur philosopher. But Paul had tried going down that road when he was in Athens. You know that story? If you look back in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 31, Paul goes and visits, when he first arrives in Athens, he, he goes to the marketplace where there's a lot of open-air debates going on, primarily between two different schools of philosophy, the Epicureans and the Stoics, and they were polar opposites, couldn't be farther apart. The Epicureans were pleasure seekers. Good food, good wine, and party till you pass out. That was their philosophy of life. The Stoics were all about controlling your passions and desires, like, like Buddhist monks 
They sought to eliminate any desire and through self-will and severe bodily discipline to always keep under control their emotions and thoughts. And Paul starts to debate with them. He wanted to show them that he could play their game. Paul was no intellectual lightweight. He himself was highly educated, unlike many of the first disciples of Jesus. You know, they were fishermen. They had no formal education, but Paul basically had a Ph.D. in religion. And he wasn't intimidated by the Greek philosophers. He had the, the intellectual chops to run with the big dogs in Athens. He even quoted Greek poetry to them in his presentation of Christ. He tried to kind of package Christianity in a way that would appeal to them. But as brilliant and as eloquent as Paul was, Athens was one of the few places where his preaching had little effect. Little effect. And I think he learned his lesson never again. Never again would he try to package the gospel in such a way just to win the approval of an audience. Boy, I wish we as Christians would learn that lesson today because there are so many groups, pastors, churches that are desperately chasing affirmation from the surrounding culture, desperately wanting just to be liked, wanting to be affirmed, wanting to be accepted by the secular culture we live in. And to do so, they're willing to kind of shade the gospel, kind of compromise the gospel in order to just get some little scrap of approval or affirmation from the world. They want to be seen as cool, as hip, as with it, as progressive, as in, as in step with the culture, with where the culture is headed. And in doing so, they lose sight of the truth of Scripture and modify their message so much it's almost unrecognizable. Just to make it palatable to the surrounding world, the simple truth of the gospel then gets lost in that process. Remember what Paul said last week? The gospel will always be offensive because it calls on people to surrender everything to Jesus. So when Paul came to Corinth, he made a decision. From now on, just the plain, unvarnished truth. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What a powerful statement. That's the essence of the gospel. If you boil it all down, that's what it's all about. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And Paul's focused on that like a laser beam. I mean, boom, he hits his target like an arrow. Everything else in the Christian life flows from or supports this basic proclamation, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In fact, you can't be a Christian without that as your central message. People who lose the cross as the foundation for faith, they really should just be honest enough to admit that they're no longer Christian. The gospel message had been quite a surprise to the Corinthians. That God cares, that God loves, that God acts, that in Jesus, God stepped into history to save me. I mean, it's a surprise to us, isn't it, that God acts to salvage my life, to forgive and to cleanse and to empower, that God's not distant or uncaring or angry. So many people have those misguided views. No, Jesus came with a different message that God cares enough to get involved in the most intimate po way possible, to become human so we can know him, goes to the cross to, to cancel out our sin and to exchange his holiness for our shame. This is a total surprise to the Corinthians. This gospel is the dawn of a new life for them. They're loved, forgiven, restored, empowered. So Paul's message was a surprise, but his method was also a surprise. He describes his method as simplicity and weakness, fear and trembling. No wise words, no slick tricks. Paul's style of leadership and presentation, it's not what they were used to. It's not what they expected in their world. 
you know, the Roman emperor ruled with an iron fist. Caesar's word was law. Life or death, thumbs up meant you lived, thumbs down meant you died horribly. And power kind of flowed down from the emperor to the civil authorities, and leaders were supposed to basically enforce orders through strict obedience. Even in the family, whoever was the patriarch of the family, his word was law. There was little or no protection for women or children or the weak or the poor. That kind of absolute power was easily abused and misused. But that's the kind of leadership they, they expected from Paul. So Paul's method was a surprise because he modeled Jesus. And Jesus was a different kind of leader, an unexpected leader, a servant leader. Paul had been in positions of power before he turned his life over to Christ. And power that he used to arrest and to torture and to kill Christians. God literally knocked him off his high horse, humbled him. He became a new man and a new kind of leader. You remember the movie The Wizard of Oz? Think about the difference between Dorothy and the wizard. Dorothy was just the wrong kind of leader for uh, the year 1939 when the movie was made. She's the wrong kind of person to lead. First, she's the wrong gender. In the 1940s, men were supposed to lead, not women. And she's young, a leader supposed to be older and wiser, and Dorothy was just a teenager. Plus, Dorothy was a seeker and not a finder. She's just as lost as everybody else. The only difference is that she has a passion to get back home, a passion to go somewhere, and her passion is basically what qualifies her as a leader so that others want to join her. Her message is really, I'm lost, but I'm on the move. Join me. Now, the wizard, he fits the profile. He's the right gender, the right age, supposedly filled with wisdom, got this terrifying power, projects this image of knowing all answers. You can't, he can't even be questioned. But it turns out he's even more lost than Dorothy is. He just doesn't admit it. And through his relationship with Dorothy, the wizard realizes he needs to go on a journey too. Dorothy was a different kind of leader. Well, that was the Apostle Paul. The key for him was that he didn't depend on having a title or a position. He depends on the power of the Holy Spirit. The whole rest of the chapter, in chapter 2, it's all about the Holy Spirit and the way the Holy Spirit as it, is at work in your life as a follower of Jesus. If you've given your life to Him. I wish I had time this morning to go through it verse by verse, but I don't. So let me encourage you to maybe do a little bit of homework. Just read through the, the second half of 1 Corinthians 2. Just write down all the ways the Holy Spirit is described, all the characteristics of the Spirit or the things that the Holy Spirit does. It's, it's quite a list. Describes all the ways the Holy Spirit is used to reveal God's power and peace to us. All the ways the Holy Spirit teaches us and supports us. And how important it is that we develop a sensitivity to the Spirit so we can really listen to God and understand what He's saying to us through His Word, how He wants us to live, how we can join Him in all that God is doing in the world. You know, there's one big difference between our story and the story of the bear, the beaver, and the turtle. See, God has been using the Holy Spirit all along to draw you to Himself. He has been at work behind the scenes, even before you had any spiritual interest at all. God is always previous. God is always previous. Through the Holy Spirit, God has been planting seeds in your heart, extending His love to you, slowly trying to draw you to Himself like a magnet. Even if you felt alone in your journey, you were never alone. 
in the simplicity of the gospel, he welcomes you into the river of his grace. We are all invited and we are all welcome to that same place. But then the question is, where do you go from here with Jesus? Going on towards spiritual maturity means surrender and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. So that Jesus becomes more than just a, a footnote, more than just a minor character in your life story. Instead, his fingerprints are seen on every page. Let's pray together. Lord, I do thank you for just the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Lord, there's so much power in those few short words. The very Son of God taking on human flesh, bearing our sin voluntarily on the cross. When he could have demanded our worship, he accepted our punishment. And so, Lord, we are so grateful that through his death and resurrection, his ascension and his coming again, that we have this new life given to us now through your indwelling spirit who is the conduit of your grace to us right now, Lord. As we stand in the middle of this river of grace, Lord, let us welcome others into the waters, that they too might know your peace and your power. And Lord, help us to be those who would share that good, simple gospel message of God's love throughout this day. In Christ's name we pray.